You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the case of Elizabeth Short. And welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I'm so glad to be back here with all of you again. Thank you all so much for celebrating my birthday with me last week. I have a few new followers around here, so welcome, welcome. I'm so excited that you decided to give me a try. Hopefully, you'll enjoy talking true crime with us and you'll keep coming back week after week. I did want to make sure that I said thank you to all those who participated in my giveaway. I want to give a special shout out to our winner who I just got in touch with earlier today and she seriously was so excited. Um, Thank you, Mariella. I'm going to send your prize this week so you should have it by this weekend. And when Mariella gets it, I'll be sure to tell you guys what was in the package, but I don't want to ruin the surprise for her because I feel like that's all part of the fun. If you have absolutely no freaking clue what I'm talking about, then you need, no, you must follow me on Instagram at mysteries still unsolved. There you will see photos of cases that we've discussed. You can share your thoughts, theories, opinions, and comments. You can DM me suggestions for cases that you want me to cover, and you can hang out with me when I sometimes pop in on stories. Um, You can also go to our website, www.mysteriesstillunsolved.com. All of my episodes are on there so that you can like have a proper binge, Um, but you can also listen to me on Apple and Spotify. Oh, and before I forget, speaking of DMing me cases, I'm going to be covering a listener suggestion next week. So make sure that you come back and you hear the case that I have in store for you. I first became obsessed with the case that we're going to discuss today when I was about 13. I think my friends and I had like stumbled upon it at a sleepover one night because as we all know there's a lot of there's not a lot of sleeping at sleepovers but there's a lot of like delving into the macabre I feel like that was the case with me maybe I just had really weird friends um anyways then when I was 15 a movie about the case came out it was rated r and I had talked to my parents like hey I want to see this movie and my parents were like what is it about and I was like well it's about a woman who's brutally murdered Um, and my parents were like, absolutely not. No, you cannot watch that. So I actually got my boyfriend at the time to convince his mom to buy us tickets so that we could go see it behind my parents' back. So (laughs) jokes on me though, because the movie was awful and not like gross or gory, but the movie just like did not do the case justice. As far as I know, another movie about this case has not been made, but there has been a TNT series come out called I Am the Night. Um, And I feel like it's really a shame that another attempt at making a movie didn't really pan out because I feel like this case really does have all the makings of a hit blockbuster. But Rochelle, who are you talking about? What movie is this and where can you find it? I'll tell you. Her name was Elizabeth Short. You're probably wondering why you've never heard of Elizabeth Short, but I promise you that you have, but probably not by her actual name. You probably know her best by the name the media gave her, a name that was actually concocted as a joke. 
Not that I understand joking around a matter like this, but it was the 40s and people were weird. I feel like, I don't know. It was, just, it was a different time. People were weird. Um, sometime before Elizabeth's death, a movie came out. And this movie starred Veronica Lake. It was a murder mystery about a man who had returned home from war with two of his friends. And when he returns home, he discovers that his wife had taken a lover during his absence. And shortly after he returned, you know, his wife broke things off with this boyfriend. Um, But shortly after, she ends up dead. And people begin to wonder, was it her husband that killed her? Was it his friends? Was it her low-life nightclub owner, ex-boyfriend? It's a real murder mystery like old school um the movie was named the blue dahlia so if you hadn't already guessed it today we will be discussing the very brutal very confusing and the very very unsolved murder of elizabeth short better known as the black dahlia Chana Roth, um, an excellent author of a book that I've been reading recently called Cold Cases, says it very eloquently when she writes, The case began with a trip to the shoe store. Mrs. Bersinger and her toddler-aged daughter were walking through the Lamert Park neighborhood in Los Angeles around 11 a.m. on January 15, 1947. And I actually saw a tour of this neighborhood done, I think it was like in 2019, and the neighborhood now... I mean, it seems pretty nice, I think, but apparently in the 40s, this area was not a place you wanted to be. It was not a place that you wanted to hang around. In fact, Mrs. Bersinger claims in her police report that she was gripping her toddler daughter's hand in case they needed to bolt, you know, being approached by a shady character. This place was so bad that when Mrs. Bersinger saw Elizabeth's body, she kept on walking. Now, why she did this, there's a few different stories. One is that she didn't want to be suspected of the crime, so she didn't want to be the one to initially report it. Another is because she believed it was a mannequin. And PSA, it's never a mannequin, okay? Like, if you're out and about in nature or, like, on the street or whatever, and you see a mannequin and you're like, oh, it's just a mannequin, guess what? No, it's not. It's a dead body because it's never a mannequin. Another reason given is that um, Mrs. Bersinger didn't think it was important. But a reason that is never mentioned, at least not in the research that I did, which I think is probably the actual reason, is because, one, obviously we already know it was in bad area, and two, I don't think it's I think it's crazy that they forget to mention the fact that she had her three-year-old with her. She probably didn't want to scar her child with the sight of this gruesome scene. And I get it. I have a two-year-old. He's going to turn three in 10 days. And if I was like out and about and stumbled across a dead body, one, I would not hang out there long because it'd be like, what if the murderer is still here? What if he's coming back? And two, like, he's three. I don't want to traumatize him for the rest of his entire life by seeing something this brutal. Like I will go, I will call the police, I will let them handle it, but there's no way that I'm going to stick around and like, what, what would I do? Like just taint the crime scene basically. Anyways, I just feel like it's interesting that they never mentioned that. We do know that Mrs. Basinger did phone the police when she got to the shoe store. So 
I don't think that the reasons like her not thinking it's important or her feeling like she didn't want to be the first one to report it so she wouldn't be accused of it, like I don't feel like those reasons hold water. Here is a direct quote from the police report from Mrs. Bersinger. They say that she said, quote, I glanced to my right and saw this very dead white body. My goodness, it was so white. It didn't look like anything more than perhaps an artificial model. It was so white and separated in the middle. And she needed to hear my PSA that it's never a mannequin, okay? Um, But it is possible that she thought it was a mannequin. Maybe it was just so gruesome that, like, her brain, like, just didn't want to compute what she was seeing. Um, And also, I don't blame her for not wanting to get a closer look. Um, I feel like she saw it, felt like it was suspicious, suspicious enough to get the police involvement but then they could investigate it, you know, sans toddler. (laughs) According to follow-up police reports, Elizabeth's body had been placed in the park that morning. They could tell by the dew patterns found on her skin. The crime scene was free of blood, so they knew that whatever happened to Elizabeth had not happened at this location. Elizabeth had been placed there and not only placed there, but positioned in such a way that it would attain maximum shock value to whoever it was that found her. When found, Elizabeth's body had been cleansed. Her hair had been recently brushed. Some sick son of a bitch had really taken his time with her. Besides her being cleaned, whether done out of remorse or shock value or to remove their DNA, I don't know. The rest of the story of what happened to her is pretty brutal. So I just want to like give you a trigger warning that if you don't like this sort of thing, like the autopsy report and the finding, then I would recommend skipping ahead maybe 15 to 25 seconds. All right. Giving everybody a little moment to skip. Okay. Her body was severed in half with the top half about a foot away from her bottom half. Her body was posed in a suggestive position. Her uterus had been removed and both of her breasts had been mutilated, with one being partially removed. She had crisscross slashings all over her pubic area and even a tic-tac-toe carved into her right hip. She had strangulation marks around her neck and her wrists and ankles and had at one point been restrained. Um, something really gross is that they said that like, but underneath her bum were, you know, some of her entrails. One of the most infamous parts of this slaying is of course the notorious happy face that Elizabeth had carved into her face. So there's like these three inch slits made upwards into her face and like, think like the Batman's Joker. Obviously, all of this is very disturbing and terrible, but I think one of the most disturbing things that I discovered upon my research is that in 2019, medical examiners got the autopsy reports and with the knowledge that we have now, were able to determine that Elizabeth Short was still alive when her trademark smile was forced upon her. All right, and I'm just going to take like a little detour right now. But did you know that people dress up as the Black Dahlia for Halloween? It's true. You can actually go on YouTube right now and there are dozens, if not hundreds, of makeup tutorials that will teach you how to get the infamous slashings Instagram worthy face. And this is absolutely revolting to me. And it should be revolting to you too, because I just think about myself or a family member being murdered in a heinous fashion and it's unsolved 
And then people are dressing up as my dead body. They are immortalizing the memories of my most terrifying final moments and have tried to turn it into some sort of entertainment. I just don't get it. I mean, it's one thing to discuss it in a respectful manner the way that we're doing it and quite another to like cosplay it for fun. Nothing about Elizabeth Short's murder was fun unless you're a psychopath. Another disturbing thing is that Elizabeth's official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock, so it's entirely possible that she was alive when she was begun cut into. Although many things were unclear at the point when Elizabeth was found at the scene, a few things were abundantly clear. One, she had been dead for less than 24 hours, and two, police were actually doing a pretty good job. Which, if you've been here for a little bit, you know is shocking, even for now, let alone in 1947. They were taking this crime very seriously, and I feel like we should take all crime seriously. Um, They had closed the crime scene down to passerbys and looky-loos. They were collecting anything and everything that could have been evidence and properly storing them in bags. They were able to get her fingerprints and right away got the FBI involved and sent those fingerprints to them. And this is basically unheard of now, um, but especially during this time period. So seriously, no joke. Good job. Um, I know that I say good job sarcastically when we talk about the police a lot, but I'm being sincere. Like, good job. Because the police sent the fingerprints to the FBI, they were able to identify Elizabeth fairly quickly because Elizabeth had actually held a government job as a postal worker. When they figured out her name, they reached out to Elizabeth's mother, but her mother actually already knew of Elizabeth's death. She had been approached by some idiot reporter who had zero class and was literally like ambushed and asked, how do you feel about the news that your daughter was brutally murdered and dumped in a park? Poor Elizabeth's mother found out about Elizabeth's death in this way, and I think that's so jacked up. Before we go any further in the telling of this case, I want to really talk about Elizabeth, who she was before her brutal slaying, because I feel like that often gets lost in the telling of her story, especially when we discuss later all of the rumors and the lies that were spread about her. So I really wanted to take a moment to give her a moment and learn more about Elizabeth. I feel like sometimes when we talk about Elizabeth, we don't talk about her because there isn't really much to be said. And not because she wasn't important and not because she wasn't worthy, but because she really hadn't lived very long. Elizabeth was murdered at the age of 22. 22! She was just a little baby. Um, She had big dreams, but never actually had the chance to realize those dreams. She was raised in Medford, Massachusetts. Her father had faked a suicide in order to leave his wife and children and start a new life with another woman. Talk about a drama king. Um, The rest of her childhood, Elizabeth lived with her mother and a couple of siblings. Um, When Elizabeth was 18, she moved to California because she wanted to, well, do what everybody wants to do when they move to California. She wanted to be a star. She worked as a waitress in a diner as she attempted to support herself between acting gigs. Apparently, Elizabeth, after discovering her dad wasn't dead, lived with him for a few short months to save up money because California is expensive now and even back then. 
but he promptly kicked her out because she wouldn't conform to his rules. He said that she was always out keeping company with men, drinking, dancing, and smoking. After learning about her death, he apparently told reporters that he didn't care that Elizabeth had been murdered. He was kind of a drunken fool, so it's hard to believe his tales of her being this, like, skanky drunk. Um, I don't really feel like anything that he has to say has any validity to it. After being kicked out of her father's home, Elizabeth worked for the Postal Service, like I said earlier. That's where they got her fingerprints. Elizabeth lived a nomadic lifestyle. She was kind of a gy gypsy. Um, she moved 12 times in the year leading up to her death. Her final address belonged to a woman named Anne Toth, who had been letting Elizabeth stay at her home for free. But a week before Elizabeth's death, she had moved out of Anne's and gotten picked up by a man that Anne only knew as Red. Elizabeth had this charm and unique ability to make connections with just about anybody. I feel like this is probably partly due to her personality, just like innately within her, and also partly for survival purposes. There were so many women who came forward after Elizabeth Short's death, and they claimed that they had let Elizabeth live with them for rent-free for X number of weeks because they simply just adored her. Elizabeth was not only a beautiful person inside, which no doubt attracted people to her like a magnet, but she was also a beauty. She was basically snow white in human form. She had this super pale white skin and her hair, she colored it like the darkest of blacks. She had piercing green eyes and loved to wear red lipstick. Um, Elizabeth was always wearing black. And when I say that she was always wearing black, I don't mean oh, she wore a lot of black. I mean, she was always wearing black, which is another reason the press referred to her as the Black Dahlia. She had been in several relationships with men in the military. I get it. Who doesn't love a man in uniform? But apparently shortly before moving to California, when she was still living in Medford, she had had her heart broken. A man she had loved and had even been engaged to had enlisted in the army. And about a year later, she received disheartening news that he had been killed in combat. Her mother and close friends all claimed that she never really was the same after that. She had always been fun and loud, but after her fiancé's death, her behaviors became more what those close to her would refer to as self-destructive. And I can only assume from the articles that they mean that she, like, began drinking, smoking, dancing, and having, like, sex with a lot of guys. Which, I mean, I get it. She was 19 and grieving in the 1940s world, and I feel like it would not be easy to do so. But this, this is often used in articles to make Elizabeth out to be this boy-crazy, home-wrecking, harlot, skanky person. To add fuel to the fire, the man she was last seen with, remember Red? Well, his name was actually Robert Manley, and he was actually married. Um, he was 25 and a pretty good-looking ginger-haired army musician, so he's just Elizabeth's type. Red picked up Elizabeth in January 8th, on January 8th, 1947, from Anne Roth's house. They spent the day and the night together before he dropped her off in L.A. at the Biltmore Hotel. Now, the Biltmore Hotel was and still is a pretty swanky place. It certainly was not a place that Elizabeth would have been able to afford. So why was she there? Was she trying to impress Red? Did she go inside the hotel and wait for him to leave and then she like went to a different place? Or was she meeting somebody there? A potential suitor? Somebody rich. 
Obviously, since Robert was the last one to be seen with her, he was the number one suspect. And I've got to say, I don't think he's guilty of anything other than infidelity. He seemed to be absolutely horrified to learn of Elizabeth's death and especially in the manner of which she died. He also volunteered to participate in two lie detector tests and passed them both. Many criminal profilers have since reviewed the transcripts of his two-day interrogation, and they all agree that they don't believe Robert Manley was behaving or acting in such a way that would lead them to believe that he had been involved in Elizabeth's death, mainly because he didn't fit the FBI's main criteria at the time. Um, from Chena Roth's book, I was able to grab this little like clip. So I'm just going to read it word for word because she just does such a brilliant, brilliant job at it. It says, the manner in which Elizabeth Short's body was dissected has indicated the possibility that the murderer was a person somewhat experienced in medical work. The Los Angeles Police Department has undertaken to develop suspects among the medical and dental schools in the area, as well as among other students who have anything to do with human anatomy. The important thing to note here is the fact that whoever killed Elizabeth had surgical skill. This was done by someone who clearly understood human anatomy and, well, it was not just some guy who had gone to the hardware store and picked up a knife. Just like we always see in cases like this, there were dozens of false confessions, but amongst those false confessions were 13 letters sent to the police by someone who referred to themselves as the Black Dahlia Avenger. And before you go, like, poo-pooing this, you should know that the letters entailed a few of Elizabeth's belongings, including her social security card, her address book, and a few personal photos. One thing that's very interesting is that a few pages from the address book were missing, leading investigators to believe that Elizabeth knew her killer. There were also copycat kills. But were they really copycat kills? Back in the 1940s, the term serial killer had not even been invented. So it is possible that it was a copycat, but it's also possible that it could have been a serial killer perfecting his skill. One of these possible copycat kills was a woman named Jean French. And Jean French was a lovely 45-year-old married nurse, and her body was found on a West Los Angeles hilltop. Her mouth had been cut upward at the edges, just like the Black Dahlia's, and her body had been gashed and mutilated. She had been kicked so hard and so many times that her body had heel marks along it. Um, her neck and lower right jaw were both broken. Her rib had pierced her heart, and she'd been found underneath a parchment of her own clothing. On her torso, the psychopath who murdered her had written BD, kind of like a signature, along with two other obscene words in red lipstick. Unlike with Elizabeth Short, however, Jean had been beaten and kicked to death very close to where her body was found, about 12 feet away. She was then dragged across the mud and grass to where she was later found. Police investigated the murder as two separate murders and never made a connection between the two. Even though the killer signed French's body with the initials BD, which many believe stood for Black Dahlia. And this is going to come into play later. We're going to talk about it more. But hey, maybe these kills were not connected. But it's clear that whoever killed Elizabeth was definitely a serial killer. There is no way that a person can brutally kill someone in this manner and have never done it before 
and never done it again afterwards. There was just too much precision, too much control, and far too much evil for this to be some sort of a one-time thing. The suspect list on who killed Elizabeth is anything but short. It's terribly long, no doubt because of all those false confessions confessors um, that the police and FBI felt that they owed to Elizabeth to at least investigate because wouldn't it be terrible if somebody like wrote a letter saying I killed it and then somebody just was like "Eh, it's probably fake (laughs) Um, but I do feel like there are a few suspects that I would like to discuss with all of you today the first suspect is somebody that we've already talked about briefly Robert Red Manley Robert had only been seeing Elizabeth for a month when she died He had met her outside of a bus station and had offered her a ride. At first, Elizabeth refused to even speak to him, but after a little convincing, she did get into his car. For the next month, he would take Elizabeth on lavish dates whenever he was visiting San Diego. One day, he got a call from Elizabeth saying her living situation had fallen through, although her roommate, uh, Ann Toth's story, directly contradicts this. Um, Elizabeth said that... She was being forced out, but Anne said that she chose to move out. And Elizabeth called Red and asked if he could come pick her up and drive her to Los Angeles. Red claims they drove to L.A. but stayed the night at a hotel platonically along the way. And he wants to make sure that we all know that it was platonically, which, yeah, okay, that, bud. Sure, you're not just trying to stay out of trouble with your wife who might later read this interview. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. The next day, Red claims he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel. He said it was at about 6.30 on the evening of January 9th. This was the last place we know with the surety that Elizabeth was seen alive, and this was six days prior to her body being found in the park. Again, like we said earlier, he took two polygraph tests and both came back that he was telling the truth. Our second suspect is a mystery. Because in 1997, the New York Times interviewed Rick Asdell, the last living detective who had been there the day that she was discovered. He claims that within weeks, he believed he had uncovered the murderer based off of tips that he had gotten from people who had been near the park earlier that morning. They claimed they had seen a man in a black car watching the park. He was able to track down this man who had recently painted his car from black to dark green. Coincidence? I don't think so. But... Because Asdell had no hard evidence and just a bunch of circumstantial stuff, he was unable to confront his suspect. And in 1997, Asdell still wouldn't tell anyone the name of the man. Which makes Asdell more of an Asdell! I mean, come on! You've been working on this case for 50 years, you're old, and you're probably going to die soon, and you can't just tell someone, anyone, the name? Like, put in the safety deposit box for when you die. I mean, come on. The third suspect is, in my personal opinion, the most credible suspect. And this is who the people behind the TNT television series, I Am the Night, and the podcast series, Root of Evil, believes is the killer. And if you want, like, super, super interesting information about this case, I would highly recommend listening to the podcast series, Root of Evil, because it was actually made by this suspect that I'm about to talk about, his great-great-granddaughter. So super scandalous. This third suspect is none other than Dr. George Hodel. A book written by Steve Hodel, George's own son, claims that he knows his dad murdered Elizabeth. And I feel like it's pretty credible because first off, before Steve Hodel retired, he was 
a an LAPD police officer. So he knows what he's doing. He's no rookie. He actually had solved 300 murders before he, his retirement. And second of all, his dad was literally the biggest piece of shit. So his dad was this super fancy schmancy doctor, and he would trick his patients into doing unnecessary tests and surgeries to get like a kickback from them. And some people even believe that Dr. Hodel killed his own secretary to cover up his schemes. Dr. Hodel's daughter accused him of unsavory acts. And when you delve into what those unsavory acts were, you will read that they include incest and being pimped out to her dad's friends at his lavish parties. At 14, his daughter became pregnant and gave up a baby for adoption. Charges were eventually dropped, but everyone believes that she gave birth to her own father's baby. Steve Hodel claims that his father had a secret room that the children were forbidden to go into. Later on, Steve had a police dog smell the corner of the house where the secret room once stood, and the dog smelled decomposition. Soil samples were taken to a lab, which confirmed the presence of human remains. But the thing that kind of sucks about it is that, like, the DNA was obviously so degraded because this case happened years and years and years ago that they weren't able to tell, like, who it was. And also, they weren't able to really narrow down when the crime occurred. I mean, they were able to narrow it down, but it was like, this DNA is between 20 and 100 years old. So, kind of hard. Um, but a question on everybody's mind is, how would Elizabeth even know this doctor? Well, Dr. Hodel owned a venereal disease and unwed mother's clinic. So, if Elizabeth was seeing, you know the many suitors that people claim that she was, she may have gone to this clinic to get forms of contraception or to even be treated. Could she have met and with her charm started dating Dr. Hodel? Is that who she was meeting at the Biltmore Hotel? He was a rich, swanky, prestigious LA doctor. He would have been able to afford a stay at this hotel, whereas Elizabeth could not. Had Dr. Hodel promised Elizabeth a life of luxury as a ruse to get her to come out and meet him and so he could act out his sick and demented fantasies? Remember, the FBI still believes the person who killed Elizabeth had medical knowledge, and that is something Dr. George Hodel had an abundance of. He apparently breezed through medical school. Many people claim they saw the doctor and Elizabeth together the week before her death, and most of these sightings took place in and around the Biltmore Hotel. So, he obviously knew her at the very least. Handwriting experts looked at the penmanship of the 13 letters that arrived to police headquarters and of the BD that was signed on Jean French's body, and many of those um, handwriting experts believe that Dr. Hodel's handwriting matches both of those samples. Further circumstantial evidence is that a week before Elizabeth's body was found in the park, Hodel had had large bags of concrete delivered to his home. There's actually photographic evidence of concrete bags at the park that could have been used um, after being emptied to transport Elizabeth's body from Dr. Hodel's car to the park where she was later found. Furthermore, Hodel drove a black car that looked a heck of a lot like the car witnesses claimed to have seen that morning. 
Steve claims his dad was a sadist who was obsessed with really, really weird art. Um, One of his favorite artists was Man Ray, who had made disturbing, abstract, kind of sexual art. In one piece of Man Ray's art, the body is posed eerily similar to the way Elizabeth's body was found. Another favorite piece of Hodel's was um, this painting called Observatory Time, The Lovers, which might explain the slits in Elizabeth's mouth and the, like, oddly placed dissection. Hodel idolized Man Ray and wanted to become an artist himself. Could the murder of Jean French and Elizabeth Short be his sick, demented way of trying to become an artist? Or perhaps he was trying to bring his favorite artist's work to life through death. Yeah, Georgie's kind of a monster. And when I say kind of a monster, I mean he is. He is a monster. In 1950, detectives bugged Dr. Hodel's house for 40 days. In the transcripts of what they heard, one quote reads, Suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. (laughs) Nobody could prove it now. Who are they going to ask? My secretary? She's dead. Shortly after, George moved, or perhaps fled, to the Philippines, where, shocker, some similar murders started happening. At the time of one of the murders, Dr. George Hodel lived a mere half mile from where the dissected body was found in Manila. Coincidence? I think not! Even though the case against Hodel was strong, after hearing the tapes, the DA claimed that the stuff found on the recordings proved, in fact, that George was not involved. Now, if you have a brain and that seems a little sus to you, you're not the only one. The LAPD was involved in a lot of sketchy business. Probably still is, if we're being honest. (laughs) And in the 1940s, they had been involved in prostitution and abortion rings. Because of Hodel's occupation and his regular dealings with prostitutes at his clinic, he may have had some insider knowledge on some dirty laundry that the LAPD did not want aired out, so many believe a cover-up was made. This could explain why much of the important evidence that would be needed to solve this case, like fingerprints, DNA, and audio recordings on the most famous unsolved crime to ever happen in LA is just missing. In 2006 and again in 2019, Stephen Kay, who is the current LAPD DA, says that he believes they have enough evidence to indict Dr. George Hodel of the death of Elizabeth, but he said that on behalf of himself. He did not speak on behalf of the DA's office. He did go on to say that he does not believe the police participated in a cover-up, but just that he believes that Dr. Hodel is the most probable suspect at this time. It seriously sucks that George is dead. He died in 1991. I really wish that he was, like, shaking in his boots every day and living in fear of being found out and arrested. Um, But I believe that he will... uh, you know, face his crimes in other ways. But what do you think? Who do you think is responsible for the murder of Elizabeth Short? In my personal opinion, I feel like the answer is pretty obvious, but I also didn't cover all 21 suspects in this case. So let me know if you have kind of delved into a suspect that you think fits even better. I'd love to hear about it. So just like leave me a comment on my Instagram. Um, I think that the author, Chana Roth, ends it best in her book, Cold Cases, when she writes, When it comes to the reality of who killed Elizabeth, the FBI on its website has it right. 
Who killed the Black Dahlia and why? It's a mystery. The murderer has never been found, and given how much time has passed, probably never will be. The legend grows. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know that this case is very well known, but I hope you learned something that you didn't know before through my research this past week. I really believe that we already know who killed Elizabeth Short, but we just can't prove it beyond like a reasonable doubt. I hope with technological advancements and like maybe one day they'll find all that missing evidence, we will one day be able to unmask the killer and get some semblance of justice for both Jean French and Elizabeth Short. If you want to know how you can further support the podcast, you can do so by hopping over to my Instagram at mysterystillunsolved. You can also go to my website, www.mysterystillunsolved.com. You can share my podcast with your true crime-loving friends and family members. You can send me a case that you want to be covered, and the best way to support me is to join me next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed, or is the mystery still unsolved?